an hour of truth for the battered but proud people of the Empire State. From the financial and entertainment epicenter of New York City to the sleeping and empty small cities and towns of upstate, which once bustled with manufacturing, mining, and farming. We all know from inspiration, history, and nature, we deserve a return to the success and growth of generations past, a birthright being squandered by corruption in Albany, and the depredations of an insecure, scheming mountebank posing as governor, who loathes both us and himself. As liberty beckoned to enslaved peoples behind the Iron Curtain via American broadcast after World War II, we now say, believe, rise, and join us. Welcome to Radio Free New York. Hey guys, welcome to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and we've got Bob Savage with us. Hello and welcome to Midweek Hall. Yeah, mid midweek. Today is Wednesday. And uh, today it, we have... Really? Oh, I, 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 today wow, I so fast. Okay. I thought oh, it was okay. uh, just an extended Tuesday, but what do I know? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's funny because... I've seen some auto um, shops like kind of in their commercials making fun of how people still don't know what days of the week it is uh, (laughs) because of all the COVID stuff. And uh, yeah, so if you're ever unsure, you can always check back with Radio Free New York. We'll make sure you know which day it is. Just think of us as your radio calendar. Yep. Yep. Radio calendar. Absolutely. And by the way, so, speaking of our great listeners, we uh, I've got one here that uh, had a comment about masks uh, that I'd like to pass along. This was left on the answering machine. If you we got 48 seconds to spend on this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. All right. Yeah. Here it comes. I heard the guy on the radio talking about you going to start wearing goggles along with the mask. Well, those masks and those goggles, if they're so good, how come you can't wear them on an asbestos, a hazmat job or a bio waste job? Anybody that breathes with that cloth mask that you breathe back and forth to, it's stopping the virus as a pool. It might stop it if you sneeze or cough. It might get some of the vapor. If a person's got a beard, it don't do anything. I've been on jobs where guys couldn't get on the job because the mask respirator didn't fit right. So all this crap wearing goggles or leaving that. And let me tell you something. The government has told you about all that. Perhaps the same government that wrote 400 Indian treaties. Uh, goodbye, good luck, stay calm, and don't believe the bull. Ah, thank you very much, <laughs> sir, for that call. Appreciate it. Good job. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, he's, uh, in case you didn't pick up on it, he's a construction worker who, you know, all, all of his working life he's worn masks and he understands how they work and what the, you know, what the necessary protocols are. And uh, as... As he indicates, of course, a lot of what we're hearing is bunk. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm hoping that nobody is saying that cloth masks can actually filter virus particles. I mean, we, we know that that's not true. It, it is more about the water vapor. Um, but it, it has also been um, maybe comical. Comical might be the right uh, term for it. Seeing construction workers who are working with drywall and doing carpentry so they've got like sawdust and they're wearing these uh the the like medical masks you know the surgical masks the 95s yeah no not the n95s because the n95s actually do filter things very very well um but those like blue oh the paper um, ones yeah yeah yeah, the surgical ones and they they just like they take the mask off their face and you see just like their whole face is just like totally white with drywall dust and everything it it doesn't filter the way people think 
that it filters and i think that um there's some there's quite a bit of like false security with masks but then i think there's probably almost as much like bad information the other way as well you know kind of interestingly i think that if people truly wanted to protect themselves with a mask then they would be wearing those plastic face shields because where where you get infected from the virus is like your eye ducts and and things like that and where the virus comes out of is your nose and your mouth um it, you know those aren't the only places but you know in terms of face coverings i think the the most appropriate if you truly and if government truly wanted to help um or or wanted to put something in place that would make a a bigger impact i think those plastic face shields that stand off your face a little bit and kind of encompass all the way there um i think just based on everything i've read that protects your eyes your ducts and prevents your breath um from going too far without being deflected down that's probably the best way to do it but nobody really seems to be pushing those so hard. So I don't know. Well, of course, the impetus for that guy's call, uh, that gentleman's call, was the uh, the public musings of Dr. Fauci that, you know, maybe six months on, we should really be wearing goggles, too. So mm -hmm. he wants the face masks, and now he wants goggles. And uh, next thing after that, of course, is we'll want a snorkel tube. You know, just, just in case, you know, you land in a <laughs> swimming pool. I mean, you might look for spare change there down on the bottom of the pool. No, I, he, he is. He's, he's now talking about goggles. I think that uh, people's patience is going to be sorely tested by this. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I, I don't know. Goggles almost sound like probably if – because what they were saying initially is that you would you would get the virus, you know, if it was transmitted through the air – in your eye ducts right so if if that is true and i don't hold any type of medical degree to dispute it or support it i'm just saying if that were true why are we now talking about goggles instead of four or five months ago yeah exactly uh, because your eyes are really you know unless you're wearing glasses which i suppose would give you some limited protection uh they're, they're wide open portals for any kind of uh bacteria or viruses because your eyes have no defense they're a, a wet a mucus like a mucus membrane they're not a membrane but and they uh they're completely unprotected your nose of course is probably the second most vulnerable your mouth really is not that vulnerable because of the saliva and the acidic content of the mouth it's really kind of a hostile environment for virus uh but uh yeah now all of a sudden and this is what by the way this is what arouses the suspicion of people about whether people who supposedly are the smartest folks in the room and have all the answers about COVID-19 really know what they're talking about because if it's it, it, it back you know the beginning of the pandemic people were saying well what about your eyes if you're uh, if, if you're if you need to protect your face, your eyes are really the most vulnerable part. Yeah, and that's uh, that, that's the thing. You know, I I can't help but be skeptical of things, and, and sometimes it's just a natural skepticism that can be overcome um, by facts and data, right? Which which is how things are supposed to be. I think. I think. Um, over time, you know, we develop natural skepticism of things based on experiences we have in life. 
Um, but then as long as we're open to those um, being proven wrong or right, depending on the situation, I think that's a healthy way to live. And when I hear something like this, I'm, I'm always so skeptical to see why, if we knew for so long, why are we just talking about it now? Like, why, why have we been pushing all of these other things? And, and like, my skepticism is not that it's wrong. I actually think the goggles could be in many ways more effective than masks, to be honest, based on, once again, my limited knowledge. Um, so why haven't we been talking about this? Is this because some donor to somebody's political campaign didn't uh, pony up the right funds. Oh, Andrew, so, that's that's you know, that's I mean, cynical. Come on now. <laughs> uh, listen, no. Here's what the problem is. Of course, the glib response that you get if you confront one of these know-it-alls about uh, about mask protocols and so forth is well. <laughs> the question which you just posed, which is, why weren't we talking about this six months ago? So you get this glib response, invariably. It's this, like, canned response that says, well, we're still learning a lot about... Well, wait a minute. If we're still learning, why are we listening to you? You either have the answers or you don't. Which is it? Yeah, and I, I think the we're still learning thing is one of the things that probably frustrates me the most, and here's why. We've been dealing with viruses for a pretty long time. It's, it's not like this virus came about and shattered the laws of physics and like changed um, you know, how biology works for us. And we have some new bleeding edge developments as to how viruses work and operate and the physics and the biomechanics of them. That's, it's just not the case. We've dealt with viruses for a very long time. This one might transport easier um, it may have different symptoms or, or even similar symptoms to other viruses, but it's a virus. I mean, there's, there's countless nonprofits, not just across the nation, but across the world that, that exist to help fight different viruses and, and medical issues, not to mention all the for-profit um, medical research facilities and labs and vaccine development companies and pharmaceutical companies and, and all of this other stuff and vaccines or not vaccines sorry viruses have been around for a while so if we're still learning about how viruses transmit and how to prevent them because of this one virus i would be really interested in seeing where all the funding from the government and from nonprofits and from donors have been going to deal with other viruses over the last however long in history. Not only is it a virus, it's also a virus that's closely related to strains of, of uh, uh, you know, of uh, Cove, the Cove virus family, which have gone before. It's not yeah. that unusual. It's just more, it's more virulent, it apparently. Uh, it's ser more serious for those who are susceptible to it. Uh, and it's a nasty bug, no question about it, but we know how viruses act. Yeah, and I, I think if I recall, it's is like closely related to SARS, which we had like, what, four, six years ago? Yeah, so SARS-CoV-2, I think it's... Yeah. All right, guys, you're listening to Radio Free New York. When you come back, we're going to talk about a report on New York roads. Spoiler alert, it's not good. We'll be back in a moment. It's Radio Free New York. 
Your business relies on computers and technology to operate. Slow, unreliable networks and servers can cause unplanned downtime and affect your bottom line. The experts at Simple Tech Innovations are here to help. Their preventative maintenance program ensures that your computers and network are kept up to date and monitored for any issues, keeping your business running smoothly. They also help clients achieve HIPAA, PCI, and New York State cybersecurity compliance to keep your network safe and secure. Whatever your business IT needs are, Simple Tech Innovations should be your first call. They've won the best in Rochester eight years in a row and have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. Call them today for a free consultation at 585-200-3182. That's 585-200-3182. Simple Tech Innovations. You're listening to Radio Free New York. All right. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. And uh, just before running to break, I, uh, I gave you guys a little bit of a teaser here because a new report on roads from Copilot came out where they uh, analyzed roads across the country and... Um, you know, took a look at the major roads, urban roads, suburban roads, and put together a, a, just a whole bunch of data. And uh, surprise, New York State's on the list, and not for a good reason. And uh, yeah, you guys know. know this if you've been out driving around. You know what shape the roads are in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's no news to us. Um, so in New York State. Actually, th- this part kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, you know, well, let me tell you a piece that didn't surprise me. The piece that didn't surprise me is that New York State's roads, um, compared to the national average, uh, are in much poorer condition. So that, that did not surprise me. But what surprised me was that in New York, only 32.9% of all major roads were considered in poor condition. And I was thinking, man, I just must be driving on that 30% of the roads. I don't know. Well, I think that, uh, you know, major roads. Okay, so if you if you live in the country, you're not driving on major roads most of the time. Uh, but uh, if, you're, if you're in the cities, you're driving on major roads a lot, and they're abysmal. Uh, yeah. City streets, for example, in Rochester, horrible. They're a disgrace. I mean, you're just constantly, you know, like swinging the wheel back and forth, doing this switch lane chicane thing, uh, trying to, you know, trying to keep your shock absorbers in one piece and trying to keep your your, uh, tires from getting all bashed up. So, you know, uh, I guess it's uh, maybe it's because the constituency that has the most money is most affected, you know, by uh, it tends to be more vocal about bad roads. So literally the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah, yeah, it could could be. And I it, I saw a image um oh jeez, this must have been like a couple months ago that was that was just like such a perfect depiction. It said like roads in Rochester and it showed an image of um two lanes and it showed somebody in a vehicle and kind of like the path that they would follow on the road. And they said uh a sober person driving in Rochester. And you see the path takes them like all over, all around the road, like avoiding potholes and manholes and uneven like spots. 
And then below it, it shows a picture. It's like somebody driving drunk in Rochester, and they're just driving in a straight line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, by the way, not to jump ahead of you here, but uh, it, it also there's a there, you look at the study. Uh, there is a display, a couple of graphs which show that despite increased travel, road work is accounting for a declining share of total state and local spending nationally which is, uh, that's an unhappy thing. That's from the uh, state, uh, the, rather the Federal Highway Administration. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because um, people will often make fun of libertarians and say that uh, the way libertarians would run government, there would be no roads. And then they, they send pictures of broken down, pothole-filled roads and, and tag them like a libertarian road ran by a libertarian government. And it's always like, no, the, the, that's a picture of a road ran by Democrats and Republicans. Like, you know, like, like if you think that, that, that that's what you're going to get, that's what you already have. Um, and it's kind of funny because libertarians see uh, roads as one of the only valid purposes of government. And so I would just like, you know, propose that and push that out to you guys, like to think about, um, think of all the obscene government programs that we pay for today, that government has literally no role in doing whatsoever. If they weren't spending money on that, maybe the roads would actually be in decent condition. Yeah, the analysis that we're looking at here, again, this is from that pilot organization. Uh, in New York, as uh, Andrew mentioned, 32.9% of all major roads are in poor condition. The national average is 26.4. Out of all states, New York has the 11th worst roads. So uh, some of the data for New York, percentage of all major roads in poor condition, 32.9 versus 26.4. Interstates and freeways in poor condition in New York, 13.7%. Uh, nationally, the would be 5.8%. Arterials in poor condition, that would be like the inner loop, 38%. Arterials in poor condition nationally, 26.4%. Minor arterials in poor condition in New York, 36.4% versus 34.5%. Not a significant difference there. Daily vehicle miles per capita, 15.8% in New York uh, versus 249 nationally. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good track record. The, it's interesting. The worst roads in the country are in Rhode Island, California, and New Jersey. Hmm. Now, yeah. what, is, what do those states all have in common? Actually, they have it in common with New York, too. Yeah, yeah. I, they have people, Bob? Is it people? Well, Potato chips? Yeah, it would be uh, run by their blue states. Uh, oh, be run blue states. How could I not know Monolithically, yeah, single-party legislature, governor, uh, yeah, uh, left-wing governance. Yeah, yeah. You know what I find really interesting about these statistics, too, that I think is um, important to emphasize that not only are we um, winning in the wrong places again, which is where we're taking, you know, trophies on bad things instead of good things, but also that you would think that the argument from somebody would be, well, you know, if you look at the numbers, the reason New York's roads are worse is because there's not enough funding or... The reason the roads in New York are so much worse is because we drive on our roads more than other states. But both of those things are completely wrong. 
because the average traveled in other states is higher than ours. So our roads actually get less wear and tear by vehicles than other states. And our taxes are the highest in the nation. So we definitely have the money. Our budget is, I don't think it's the highest in the nation this year, but definitely in the top three. So by all means of measurement, our roads get less wear and tear and we spend more money. We should have immaculate, perfect, beautiful roads with no worry of damage to our vehicles yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, uh, as we as we just cited, uh, daily vehicle miles per capita in New York, 15.8, nationally 24.9. We also have fewer roads, by the way, uh, than, yeah. than the national average. Miles of road per 1,000 people, 2.9 in New York. Miles of road per 1,000 people nationally, 4.9. So it's wow. almost it's almost like half the roads of the national average. And I know I used to live way out in the Midwest. I lived in Minnesota. Thank God I don't live there now. Uh, and um, it, people would think nothing of going seventy miles to the mall. You know, if, really? if, if oh wow. yeah, I mean, if you live in you know the Minneapolis, I mean, people would come from St. Cloud and from Duluth, and, you know, places you know a couple hundred miles away just to go to the mall to shop or. You know, to uh, maybe a major shopping trip for like uh, school or college or whatever, and uh, my my brother went to a dinner party once that was 500 miles away. Wow! And he wow. lived when he lived in Iowa, so it's it, the the distances are much greater. There's a lot more roads, is the point. Yeah, yeah. Because i I live in uh, I live in a city not too far away from Greece, and sometimes driving to Henrietta, I'm like, wow, that's kind of far away. That's probably like eight or nine miles for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's another interesting thing. Not only are we spending more, we're using our roads less, but we even have less roads. So technically we should be able to put more funds per road in there. So really no excuse whatsoever by New York state government um, for us to have these crappy roads to be taking another trophy Um in a bad way, saying, look, we're the 11th worst roads in the nation. Um, it's not first place, thankfully. But, uh, you know, let's not get New York too excited where they try to get that, too. Guys, you're listening to Radio Free New York. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about workers in Pennsylvania and other states who work in New York but live in those other states and how this quarantine is impacting them. We'll be back in a moment on Radio Free New York. listening to Radio Free New York. All right. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. And uh, I, I got something emailed to me earlier today about uh, some state lawmakers who are trying to get Cuomo to not add Pennsylvania to the list, um, or at least to make some exemptions for workers who live in Pennsylvania but work in New York. Um, and depend on those jobs for their livelihood. 
um, and try to figure out how are we going to handle this whole quarantine issue if we have workers from other states who are coming in to work, but they return to home that night. And I think that this is one of those situations that um, probably this should have been thought about yeah. beforehand. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, they don't do that. Uh, yeah, this is a letter from, let's see, we got uh, two states, three state senators, Tom O'Mara from the 58th District, uh, Frederick Akshar from the 52nd, and George Borello from the 57th, as well as three assembly people, uh, Phil Pomisano, Pop, excuse me, Pomisano, uh, Christopher Friend, Marjorie Burns, and uh, Assemblyman Joe Giglio. And basically what they're doing is they're, you've got these communities, and this is of particular interest to our WENY listeners down at the Patriot, 1230 and 1450. you got a lot of folks that work in New York's southern tier but live over the line in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, you get down to, like, for example, Waverly, New York, and Sayre, PA, those are two little towns that actually hug the border. And people you know, routinely drive back and forth across the state border down there. Same deal with Elmira, which is, I don't know, like eight or nine miles from the border. So they, a lot of folks, gee, big surprise, they live in Pennsylvania because the taxes are lower, and then they commute over to New York to work. So we've got that letter uh, from these lawmakers, and uh, they wrote to Cuomo, and they said, although we understand the importance of a travel advisory to prevent the spread of the pandemic, we implore you, Andy Cuomo, to advocate on behalf of specific guidelines and exemptions for residents of Pennsylvania who work in New York's southern tier region, as well as consideration of specific county test results. I thought it was all about the test results. As the guidance currently stands, should future test rates for the entire state of Pennsylvania require quarantine, this would be catastrophic to both our workforce and our employers. They uh, detail in their letter a significant portion of Southern Tier workforce lives in Pennsylvania. 3,000 Pennsylvania residents employed by businesses located across the border in Chemung County. Uh, that's the home of Elmira along the network. Uh, Overall, 9,500 Pennsylvania residents work within the Southern Tier region. Likewise, more than 6,300 residents of the Southern Tier work in Pennsylvania the other way. In short, they write, it's clear that this reality of across-the-border employment is fundamental to local economies and regional economic success, and it must be taken into account throughout the implementation of New York State's travel advisory. Uh, if, for example, the state of Pennsylvania is added to your travel advisory because of coronavirus spikes in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, while border counties remain stable, it would cause further de devastation to the southern tier economy. The southern tier economy, by the way, is fragile, as it is. Yeah, they, they, yeah. They, they, don't, they don't need additional complications like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and my gut tells me this, because Pennsylvania wasn't about Cuomo, or wasn't a part of Cuomo's little alliance of states. It was like Connecticut and New Jersey. Um and so this is kind of how I envision this playing out. I think Cuomo is probably going to ignore the southern tier Pennsylvania problem. That, that's just my gut feeling. I don't think he cares. Um, but what I do think he cares is about the workers who live in New Jersey and work in New York City and commute back and forth. And I would be willing to bet that when it comes time for New Jersey to possibly become on that list, I bet you we see very quickly Governor Cuomo not make an exemption for them, but maybe make an adjustment to the numbers in his policy 
so that New Jersey can still continue to send their workers to New York City. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if he cares about Pennsylvania and the southern tier. I feel like he doesn't. No, well, first of all, those are people who won't vote for him. So, you know, he has, this is tribal politics. So he looks at the southern tier of New York and says, ah, bunch of Republicans. That's, that's, that's why he, he, he also uh, banned fracking, because, you know, he doesn't want there to be economic vitality down there. He, what he wants to do is chase people who are productive members of society out of the state. What he wants instead is... Uh, a, an electorate which is completely dependent upon him and his dopey Democrat Party. So, and this is this is the exactly the mindset that has driven millions and millions of people out of New York State, the productive members of society, as opposed to all of his, uh, uh, you know, his welfare recipients that pack the boroughs of New York, uh, because they're completely dependent on government, and so they're very docile. They will do basically whatever it takes to keep those in power who just keep on doling out what little benefits they need to eke out an existence. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, too, like, if if Cuomo really cared about upstate New York economics and, and the economy of upstate New York, which does include the southern tier, um, his COVID policies would have been vastly different from the beginning um, but every step of the way, he's he's there to appease New York City, drive everything around New York City. That's where he gets his votes. Um, he likes to pretend that he cares about the upstate economy by occasionally um, making trips up here and awarding grant money or tax credits or some new program to his cronies. Um, but by and large, he he doesn't care about upstate. No, because upstate doesn't want him. He cares about Erie County because Erie County sure. is is historically Democratic. Uh, hopefully, they're starting to wise up over there in Western New York. Uh, but no, it, it, if there's any benefits to be doled out, it's you know in the form of lies extended to the residents of Erie County about the Buffalo Billion, which never materialized. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So, so my take on this is um, I'm glad that there are elected officials um, supporting their community and trying to uh, get Cuomo to change things. But I suspect deep down inside that Cuomo won't make an exemption. I would be very surprised if Cuomo made an exemption. I think instead what we're going to see is Cuomo is going to adjust the criteria of what states end up on the list and I think the motivation for that will probably be if New Jersey ends up um, coming close. And I, I think it'll it'll be a, a neighborly thing is how it will be marketed. Um, and we're all in this together type thing. And that he will tweak and dial the numbers, you know, in the back room and come out with another daily press conference saying, look, we're doing so good, New York. We're so resilient that we can adjust our numbers now and let a few states off the list. And uh, that'll be like the day before New Jersey would have hit their numbers when yeah. they'd be on the quarantine list. Adjust the numbers, also known as cooking the books. Yep. Uh, and, and that's, that's you're right. I mean, that's probably part of the motivation behind his little alliance, which, by the way, is unconstitutional. The states are not supposed to have private alliances with other states. Uh, that's uh, explicit in the Constitution. Last time we did that, we had a little thing called the Civil War, 1861 to 65. That wasn't a very happy time for this country. And neither is 
this particular point in history a very happy time for the country, and it's because of the attitudes of people like Andrew Cuomo and his buddies in uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, and what's the other one? I can't think. But uh, anyway, uh, not uh, not a good thing to do. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think so, and I, I, I've said this a number of times on air, but the longer that this goes on, I think the more apparent it is to people how politicized this this whole entire thing um, has become. Whether or not it started that way, uh, you know, I don't know. I think people were initially actually scared. I think um, Democrats and Republicans came together with the spirit of they were fearful and wanted to do the right thing. And I think, man, barely like two weeks into it, I think everybody got power hungry. It became politicized. And I hope that people are really paying attention and that they're really seeing it, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, or anything else. I hope that they can see the level of politics that has really consumed this entire coronavirus pandemic. Guys, you're listening to Radio Free New York. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to pose the question to you. Who should be paying the cost of quarantine? We're making people quarantine. Who should be covering that cost? We'll talk about that when we come back on Radio Free New York. Why do businesses choose to move their website from Wix and Squarespace to Simple Tech Innovations? Maybe it's their excellent customer service or attention to detail. Maybe it's their ability to give a truly customized solution. Or perhaps they just like the fact that Simple Tech is a local small business that builds great relationships with its clients. Whatever the reason may be, you can rest assured knowing that the local team at Simple Tech has your best interest in mind when building or updating your website there hands-on and love helping customers achieve their goals. But don't take my word for it. They've won the best in Rochester eight years in a row and have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. If your website doesn't match your dreams or isn't achieving your goals, give the professionals at Simple Tech Innovations a call today for a consultation at 585-200-3182. That's 585-200-3182. Simple Tech Innovations. Radio Free New York. You know, Andrew, uh, Bob D'Angelo in the Master Control Room brings up a great point, and that is that uh, in the Southern Tier, Route 17, also known as uh, I-86 now, crosses into Pennsylvania for about a mile near Sarah P.A. Waverly, New York. So what are they going to do, set up a checkpoint Charlie there? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're just driving down the road, um, and, and Bob was telling me, you know, the GPS will beep and say, hey, you're in, you're in Pennsylvania. And then, you know, like a few minutes later, beeps again, you're back in New York. So with this kind of arbitrary quarantining law, does that mean if you drive on that stretch, um, you've got to then quarantine? Yeah, somewhat, somewhat famously, there are some houses in uh, Waverly, Athens, Sayre that straddle the line. <laughs> you know, yeah. so uh, what do you have to quarantine every time you go to the kitchen? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's interesting, too. My wife actually sent me a message um, saying that when Czech closed their borders, they actually did put in an exemption for anybody living within 50 kilometer of the borders so that they could still get to work if they worked across the border. And one of the things I've got to say is Czech closes borders way before New York 
or even places in the U.S. were considering doing quarantining or or any of that. Um, so this somebody had already thought of this. Somebody had already come up with this and implemented it. And our state lawmakers are implementing things that other people have done already and not even bothering to read to see what successes they've had, what other pieces of policy they might have put in. Um, and that's just really a disservice to any part of legislation, not doing a little bit of due diligence yeah. to see what what have other people done with this and has it been successful. And I feel that Cuomo has constantly been trying to tout um, how we know what's going on because we've been through this. Well, here's somebody who's been through it and we're not even going to look or bother no. or research or see. Come on. Well, the major difference there is the Czech Republic is not run by an arrogant, narcissistic goomba uh, who uh, who doesn't, you know, who, who just doesn't care. Because, you know, what his, his knee-jerk reaction is going to be when somebody says, well, Mr. Governor, what about uh, the folks who live in the southern tier? And he, to which he would say, expletive, screw them, they're Republicans, they'll figure it out. You know, that would be characteristic uh, Cuomo style for dealing with the problem. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Of course, his press conference would be like, I've driven through the southern tier before. I love the southern tier. Yeah, I twice. I love the farms. <laughs> you know, like, and that, that, would be, that would be what we would say without during ever which, answering during which the he's, question. He spent the entire time while he's driving through the southern tier staring at his phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So a, I read an article um, this morning that kind of prompted this question of who should pay the cost of quarantine. And um, I'll, I'll let you guys into like, you know, a little personal part of my life. Uh, coronavirus has canceled like four different conventions that I was supposed to go to. So I've got this just pile of airline credits that I'm like fighting with some of the airlines to get my money back um, because originally they were supposed to be credits. But now the virus stuff has stretched out for so long that the credits are going to be expiring. <laughs> so I, I can't use them but I can't get a refund, you know, that, that whole mess. And a place that I really wanted to go to for vacation was the Bahamas. It, it's a beautiful place. I had the opportunity to go last year for just, you know, a couple days. It was so amazing. Talked with my wife and I was like, you know what? I would love to go back there. We have these credits that we're supposed to do something with. Um, maybe we could plan a trip there. So, of course, when I planned that out, uh, I did not actually book anything like i should have which is okay because then literally like the next day they shut down their borders and said nobody else can come from the u.s so the crisis averted however they have since reopened their borders but with the idea that when you go to the bahamas you have to self-quarantine for 14 days at your own expense and if you can't get to one of the quarantine sites, you will have to go to a government-mandated quarantine site and pay whatever that expense is. And so, of course, gut reaction is, well, we're not going there then. We, we don't know what that's going to cost. That's not our idea of vacation. Not going to spend our money there. They're going to miss out on the economic opportunity of us going there, spending our money as tourists. Well, this morning I read an article about students um, specifically RIT students, but I'm sure that other colleges in the area and across the country are doing the same thing. Students are upset with the college's quarantining policy where they have to come up 
They have to quarantine for 14 days. They have to do it for by a specific time. They have to take a COVID test, and then they'll be allowed in the school. But the kicker is they don't have a quarantine place, so the college is opening up their hotel as a quarantining site for these students. Yes, RIT this is. Yeah, this is RIT. Yep, and uh, and it'll cost about $800, $780 for them to be quarantined there. And the students are saying, whoa, whoa, this is like really expensive. We, we can't afford for this. We shouldn't have to pay for this. And it's driving the question of, well, based on whose policy it is, who should be paying for this? And I think it's an interesting question because my gut initially says, well, if you're traveling somewhere and it's your choice to travel there and you know that you have to quarantine, you yourself should be paying for it. But these students are saying, well, we're paying for a service. We're purchasing an education and we're purchasing room and board at the school already. The school should cover this because we have to travel to the state to get the education. And uh, it, it's a pretty, it's kind of interesting. I'm not sure where I stand on it. What are, what are your thoughts, Bob? Well, colleges uh, are about to get a come up, comeuppance here because what's happening is you're having these kids, and this, by the way, is a further aggravation of the existing intolerable situation, where they're being told that they can come to campus and subject to all these social distancing uh, strictures, uh, you're going <clears> to <throat> sit in your dorm and basically do online learning. And, you know, and uh, wear a mask the whole time, and you're going to be sequestered while you're on campus, can't leave campus, can't go anywhere, can't go to the mall, can't go to a movie. You're just going to be stuck on campus where you are going to go to a dorm, and you're going to sit there and attend class on a computer. And these schools are charging full boat for this. They're, you know, yeah. if there's any discount at all, it's minimal. Uh, or in some cases you do distance learning at home and some of the uh, schools are even balking on refunding room and board because of course that's a huge profit center for them. Sure. So, uh, and this is, this is more aggravation. I know at Syracuse university, uh, some families said, and by the way, it's more expensive there by half. I believe that their quarantine program in local hotels uh, which has been arranged, quote, at a discount, unquote, by the university, is in the neighborhood of $1,300 to $1,500. So when when people, you know, when students, arriving students object to this, they say, well, don't worry about it. We'll just fold it into your financial package, meaning you're going to borrow the money for this. Yeah, yeah. So you're, that, that equals, uh, you know, about 100 bucks a night is going to end up being 150 bucks a night by the time you pay it off, if not closer to $200 a night. Sure, got to add the interest costs on there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think when I see this, I can I can see where the college is coming from, you know, having this expense that seems to be mandated by the state, although a lot of students are saying what RIT is doing and what other schools are doing is much stricter than what the state is expecting, and they're kind of making their own guidelines. Well, the other, um, the other aggravating thing about the RIT thing is they own their hotel. Yes, yes, and that's exactly where I want to go with this. RIT does have the opportunity to sit there and say, you know what, we own this hotel. We we don't have to make this a big deal. And enrollments have got to be down already. Yeah. I can't imagine them not being down significantly. And I'm sure the college is looking at this and trying to like scrape for funds. But I think they would be more successful and attract more students 
if they were one of the only colleges in the area that was offering the quarantine sites for free, or at least at, you know, like a, a daily rate that would match what room and board is in the dorms um, or or local rentals. I think that's what one of the students said. They said, hey, my apartment cost me $750 a month and I had to pay almost $800 to RIT for two weeks. That doesn't like, like it just doesn't equate. Like I'm not getting a $1,600 apartment. Well, especially when you factor in the fact that uh, that hotel was basically given to RIT. That that was once upon a um, once upon a time it was a Marriott that was built in the 1970s. And when the throughway exit was moved with the construction of I-390, and it moved a couple of miles away. All of a sudden, you had this worthless hotel. It used to be plunked right next to a throughway exit. Now it's in the middle of, uh, you know, what you call a stand. So uh, uh, the developers basically gave the hotel the property to RIT. So it didn't cost really? you anything. Wow. So, so uh, you know, uh, give us kind of some slack here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what the students are asking. So I'm, I'm torn on the issue personally. I'm not sure which way is the right way to go. Um, but I found it very interesting. Either way, I wanted to share it with you guys. Thank you so much for joining us here on Radio Free New York. We'll be back same time, same place tomorrow.